know, seeing the kids today on the platform reminding us of the greatest and truest story of Christmas, this has a way of bringing joy to our hearts, right? As you saw those children on the platform, probably a smile came across your face, and, and maybe just for a moment you were able to kind of push back from the, the busyness and the distractions of our adult life and our complications, and maybe just for a moment you're able to chuckle, to smile, to unleash that inner child, and a few of you unleashed that, that inner parental pride and grandparent pride as you saw them on the platform. And just for a moment, maybe that wonder of childhood and the joy that comes with that awakened in your heart. To be completely honest, I miss childhood. Anybody, anybody join me in that? I miss childhood. And I especially miss childhood around Christmas. It seems like I always equate the childhood memories that I've had with joy and thrill and, and surprise and wonder and all those things that you remember as a child. And, and hopefully that was your childhood experience as well. For me, my childhood experience was in the 70s. Here's a picture of me and my two older brothers, uh, Greg and James, both of which attend this church, live in this community. This was probably Christmas of, I don't know, 73, 72, somewhere around there. All of us boys lined up with our presents, excited to open the package and reveal what was inside. Well, each year as a child, the Christmas thrill would come a little bit early, usually around late fall with the arrival of the Sears Christmas wish book. How many remember the Sears Christmas catalog or the JCPenney catalog that would come sometime around November and you would anticipate the arrival of that thick 600-page catalog that highlighted all of the latest and the greatest that those stores had to offer? When that would arrive, undoubtedly within just a couple of days, that book would automatically open to the toy section because that's where me and my brothers, I'm sure, would peruse through to take in every page filled with toys. There was always the ventriloquist dolls. I never got one of those. They kind of creeped me out, to be honest, but those were always there along with the Lionel train sets. You would find the chemistry sets, and you would find the dolls and the furniture, and we'd look through, and as we would find the one toy or the couple of toys that we really wanted, we would circle them. We would highlight it. We'd put our initials on it to make sure that they knew exactly which child that was going to be for. We'd even dog ear that page of the catalog for easy recall. And by the way, I was hoping I could find one of those wish book catalogs to bring today. I couldn't, but I was surprised to find that online somebody has actually cataloged all the catalogs. In fact, back to 1939, for those of you who have been in childhood long enough, you can go back and look at some of those Sears and JCPenney's and Ward's catalogs of Christmas's past. Just Google Christmas catalogs, and uh, you'll find a place that archives them all. It's very, very cool. I relived a lot of my childhood memories looking at some of those toy catalogs. I knew exactly where to go, too. All these years later, I knew exactly where in that catalog to go. A little bit after the middle of that catalog, that's where the toys were. And we would hope that every Christmas, one of those things that we circled, highlighted, marked, initialed, tagged, would end up underneath that tree. 
My parents would be the first to admit that we didn't have a lot growing up in the means of finances, but I'm sure they sacrificed to make sure that at least one of those presents was underneath the tree. And then, of course, Christmas Eve came. As a child, how many remember the excitement and the anticipation of Christmas Eve? You can scarcely sleep. I remember as a boy trying to go to sleep that night, and all I could think about was the excitement of the next morning. Couldn't go to sleep. In fact, if you were to put it to kind of a poem, it might sound something like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was steering, except maybe three boys, who tried as they might to fall fast asleep, but the excitement of Christmas was just way too deep. But we would wait until we were certain our parents were asleep. We would sneak down the hall. There was the Christmas tree, the only thing lit in the front room. And it would highlight these toys that were surrounding the Christmas tree. Because every year in the Dufour household, there was always one unwrapped toy at the foot of that tree. And we'd all go find the one that we were certain was ours because we had circled it, initialed it, highlighted it, dog-eared it in the catalog. We knew it had to be ours. And we'd quietly play with that toy, not waking our parents. For a couple of hours, maybe not that long, when we were done, we'd put all the toys exactly back the way they were, make sure that the cars were exactly the same place on the racetrack. And then we'd creep back to our room and hope to sleep which would be fleeting until very early in the morning we would rise and wake our parents. It was time for Christmas, and we'd tear into those packages. You know, still today in our Dufour household, there is a prized photo album that comes out every year along with all the Christmas decorations. Currently, it sits on the fireplace mantle at my parents' house, and it highlights in picture all of the Christmases past, those moments captured as a family. And uh, in that photo album, as we would look through pictures, I'm sure we would remember those Christmas toys that we got that particular Christmas. In fact, here's a picture of my brother. I was only probably a newborn at this point in time, but he had really wanted this Target set. So you can see the picture of it in the original catalog that year. You can also see my brother proudly standing by his recently received gift. I'm not sure how long it took to have all the pieces of that target lost, uh, but uh, there it was, his pride and joy that Christmas. There's a picture of me early Christmas morning. I wanted a toy to write on, and catalog shows the picture, and there I am writing on it. Well, fast forward a few years, and here's my brother James. Every year, it seemed like he wanted one of those racetracks. How many remember those? Tyco brand racetracks. We had slotted and slotless tracks over the years. This is him playing with one of his prized, circled, highlighted, initialed gifts in the catalog that year. Here's a picture of me. I was the musician of the family as well as my brothers, but I loved music rather early as well. So here I am enjoying the record player that I had highlighted in the catalog and sang to some great albums that were very popular at the time. None of us would probably recall the artist's names. But how many remember those high-tech toys? Here's a picture of one. This is Electronic Touchdown. Did anybody get the game Electronic Touchdown? Yes. It was the, it was the electronic highlight of the year. For those who don't know, it is a little red light 
that moves from one side to the other when you are playing football and trying to get a touchdown. That was a highlight of my year that year. I circled it, highlighted it, marked it so I would get electronic football. And there I am in my Captain America pajamas, excited to have electronic touchdown. Here's another picture from a catalog. Maybe some of you were more into the Tonka trucks. I enjoyed action figures and Tonka trucks, and this one featured A.J. Foyt's racing team. And the ironic thing behind that particular story is there is a toy that proudly sits still in the back bedroom, which used to be my brother's, of the current house that my parents live in, that most of our Christmas childhood memories were in, of that very same truck. Isn't it funny how certain toys just hang around? I think every grandchild and now great-grandchild has probably touched, played with this truck. Childhood Christmas. Remember the thrill, the excitement, the joy. That's why I miss childhood. Seems like sometimes we grow and lose the wonder and the excitement of those moments. Well, that's what the world tells us anyway. They, they tell us that joy comes in getting or giving the perfect gift. It tells us that joy is in a catalog. And boy, don't we wish it was that easy. Because all of us would go to that part of the Sears catalog. We'd circle joy. We'd initial it. We'd highlight it. We'd dog ear it. Because we really want joy this Christmas season. Is joy just meant to be something we experience during a season? Is joy something that is found in a catalog that if we receive that right toy, we'll get it? Is, is joy something that's found in the right set of circumstances or the right experiences? Is that where joy is? I think what's happened, in, especially in our culture, is we've lost the true sense of what joy really is. And we've manufactured different ideas of what it is. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about the joy that God has to give us the joy that comes at Christmas time, it's not a joy that we grow out of, by the way, as we enter adulthood. This is a joy you can still have in your hearts no matter how old or young you are today. In Luke chapter 2, we've already heard it wonderfully told by our children and narrated by Piper, but I want to go back to Luke chapter 2 where it captures for us the announcement of joy, because embedded in that announcement is really what joy is all about. And if, and if for you today, as you think about Christmas joy, you feel like maybe you are depleted, then let's lean in and listen to what the angels have to say. Luke 2, 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby 
who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the angels announced the shepherd that good news is coming. And it's not just good news. It was a good news that would cause great joy. And what I love about the word great joy is it's not just joy. In the Greek, it actually is a pretty interesting word for great. It is the word mega. (laughs) That's the Greek word anyway, mega. Now, we use it for mega foods, mega man, mega whatever. It has the idea of it's just not ordinary. It's like extraordinary. It is mega joy. That is the kind of joy the angels announce. But is that the kind of joy that you're experiencing today? Would you say as you look into your own life that there is mega joy? I don't know. The dictionary, in fact, it's the Webster Dictionary, tells us this is what joy is, that it's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Generally, I I love the way Webster brings definition to words, but he has fallen short with this one. Because joy, as we find it in the Bible, joy as the Greeks would have used the word, was not an emotion. Yes, it had to do with gladness and happiness, but here's the thing you got to take away from here. Joy is more than a state of being. It's more a state of being than an emotion. That is what joy is, more of a state of being, a constant. It doesn't just come around Christmas, but it's a state of being. The world tells us that joy comes from something within you. In fact, I Googled this year, how do I have joy? I just went online, Googled, how do I have joy? And a lot of people have answers. There are a lot of Bible answers, of course, a lot of websites from Christians telling us how to find joy, and I'm grateful for that. But there were a few that were secular web pages that were telling us how to have joy. And I was amazed at what our world is saying we should do to find joy. And it was all about manufacturing it. It was all within looking within yourself, conjuring up in your own resources a sense of joy. But like you, I've tried to do that. I've tried conjuring up joy. I've tried experiencing joy. I've tried doing events that would bring joy. I tried receiving or giving things that would give a sense of joy, and it missed. It was fleeting, if anything. It wasn't joy. But the world tells us, here's the deal. You're responsible for your joy. Somehow you have to get it, and it makes joy nothing more than an emotion like happiness or sadness. But friends, that's not what joy is. It's not really an emotion. Joy is a state of being. The Bible would tell us that true joy that God wants you to experience is not found within yourself. You can never turn inward or conjure up the kind of joy that God has to offer you. In fact, true joy that God wants you to experience is actually a gift. Now, it's not the gifts you're going to find wrapped in pretty packages and placed under a tree. It was actually a gift that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, the gift of Jesus, his son. The joy that God came to give us was focused in on Jesus, his gift 
given to us. And it became available to anybody who would embrace the simplicity of the good news that this joy was for all people, not an elite few, but all people. So what is this good news that will cause great joy? Let's look at it. Luke 2.11 tells us, here's the good news. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What we can see about joy as it comes from the Bible is this, that joy is both a gift of God as well as a response to the gift of God. So it's both a gift that we can only receive from God, but it's also a response that should be in our lives daily in response to the gift that God has given us. So let's break this down. Joy is a gift. The joy is not something I can produce in my own resources from within. We've already talked about that. It's a gift of God. That gift that offers great joy is the gift of his son, Jesus. In fact, Luke 2 gives us a little clarity. Luke 2 says about this great joy that a Savior has been born, and then he uses in the NIV translation a very interesting word. A Savior has been born to you. Now, that's interesting. Most of us, as we think about how we'd structure that sentence, we probably would say a Savior has been born for you. And a lot of translations do that. But a great group of scholars who worked on the, the NIV translation said, the best expression here is the word to. A Savior has been born to you. Now, many of us use the word to, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to go to whatever, and we, we never consider what it means. You know that the word to actually implies movement. It implies action. It implies a movement toward a person, a place, or a thing. But you know what else to implies? Being in close proximity to something. And you know what's cool? Is God did both of these things in the giving of his son, Jesus. First of all, God moved towards you. Think about that just for a minute. What do most of us as humans do? We move away from God. In fact, we look at the Old Testament and we see stories of people who, while they knew God, they continued to move away from him because they would rather live their own way, do their own thing, than to live as God would have. And so we have this story of people always moving away from God. So why now... After all these years of people moving away from God, would God choose to move toward people? I don't know. I think it was because of his love. And that's exactly what he did. He moved toward us. And not just in some kind of expression of happy thoughts toward us, he actually entered the womb of a young girl named Mary and was born as a baby. Now, what is more approachable than a baby, right? Every time we see a baby, what do we tend to do? We tend to move toward the baby. You see somebody holding a baby or pushing a stroller, you're like, oh, let me see, right? That's what we do. We always move toward babies. They're so cute. They're so irresistible. We move toward them. And I think it's interesting that God not only moves toward us, but he moved himself in close proximity to us, so close that he came as a baby that you could touch, that you could see, approachable. That's who God was. The joy that he had to give us, he moved toward us with that joy, and then he placed it right within your reach, a baby. In fact, I think about it this way. Why the shepherds? 
Why did the angels appear to the shepherds to tell the story of the birth of Jesus? Why would that be the case? I mean, shepherds, by the way, um, were just your average blue-collar worker. Why not take this message from the angels to King Herod? I mean, he was the king of the Jews at that time, placed on the throne by the Roman Empire. Why not appear to Herod and say, hey, Herod, look, here's a king that's born. You better bow to him because he's the king of the universe. Or why not take that message to Caesar, who's ruling over the entire Roman Empire, and say, Caesar, you're not really a god, nor are you a son of God. Here, actually, is the birth of the son of God. And if angels appeared to Caesar, or if angels appeared to even King Herod, I think they would pay attention. Or why not take this message and the angels into the temple where the priests offer their sacrifices to God? And yet, he didn't go to these religious elite, politically charged rulers of the world. He went outside the city of Bethlehem, dispatched angels to shepherds who were just doing their job. I mean, what did the shepherds do to deserve that, right? What did they do to deserve an angelic host breaking into their night while they're just watching sheep? What did they do? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They were just doing their life And God burst in on the scene as a gift. You know, those shepherds did nothing to deserve that great announcement, nor did they do anything to deserve going and being the first to witness the newborn King Jesus. They did nothing to deserve that. But isn't that what a gift is all about? A gift is not truly a gift if you earn it. That's actually called wage. And yet we continue to try to earn God's favor and joy by trying to do things that would make him want to see us. But the reality is he moved to you. He put himself within reach. Shepherds. Shepherds of all people reminds us that God's good news of great joy is for all people, whatever class of life you find yourself. So it is a gift. Secondly, though, it's a response to that gift. In other words, joy is the byproduct of your salvation in Jesus. We should be people as Christians who are people of joy. If you believe that Christ is the Son of God who came and then he died for you to be your Lord and your Savior, if you believe that and you embrace him as Savior, guess what? Joy should be what's in our life. In fact, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as followers of God, a fruit or evidence of that Holy Spirit is joy. There should be this sense of God's joy in your life. And why is that? I think the one thing Webster got right in his definition about joy, while it's not an emotion, he did say this. He said that joy is defined as possessing what one desires. Possessing what one desires. As a kid, I think back to those presents and the, quote, joy those brought me. Why? Because I desired those things. I circled them, I marked them, I initialed them, dog-eared them, right? That's what I want. And when I got it, hey, joy. There's a truth to that. But sometimes even that joy is fleeting, right? But not the joy that fills the hearts of mankind. Why? All of us have a desire. Everybody in this room has a desire that is deep within our hearts that I believe God himself has placed there. And you know what it is? It's a desire to be restored to a relationship with the God who made us. And we've tried to fill that desire with other things. I've tried. 
Maybe with success or a better job or enough money or a big enough house or the right relationship or the right recreational activity or the right recreational drug. All these things, we have tried to fill this longing within our hearts, a desire that's actually been placed there by God to bring us back to the only one who can satisfy that desire within our hearts. You know, there was a song once written. Johann Sebastian Bach was involved in the musical portion of it. He borrowed some lyrics from a poet whose name was Martin Janus. And the song is called Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. Maybe you've heard it before. If not, I encourage you to play it. But the words that are captured lyrically in the song written by Janus are incredible words that when you hear the song, generally it might be sung in German, so you may like, I don't do German, so I don't understand what he's saying. But here's the English translation. It's kind of a broken English translation because it's directly translated from the German text to capture the points. I don't speak German, so I'll spare you the German part. But here's the English translation. The words go, Well for me that I have Jesus. Oh, how tightly I hold to him that he might refresh my heart when I'm sick and sad. Jesus I have who loves me and gives himself to me. Ah, therefore I will not leave Jesus, even if I feel my heart is breaking. Verse 2 says, Jesus remains my joy, my heart's comfort and essence. Jesus fends off all suffering. He is my life's strength my eyes desire and sun, my soul's treasure and pleasure. Therefore, I will not leave Jesus out of heart and face. In other words, I will always keep Jesus before me, my heart and my face. And he says, this is Jesus, is the joy of all men's desiring. And I would agree. I remember the day that I accepted Christ as my Savior. And there was something that happened to me inwardly that I can't explain except to call it a birth of joy. And maybe you remember that when you came to that point of confessing Christ as Savior and recognizing he's the Savior who, can, who not only can forgive me of my sin, but also restore unto me a life that's abundant and a joy that's an un, unspeakable joy, right? Maybe you can remember back to that day. Maybe it's been too long ago for some of you. And for whatever reason, circumstances in life has maybe quieted that joy. Maybe it's subdued it. Maybe disappointments because God didn't do what you thought he should do the way you thought he should do it. Maybe those disappointments muted the joy in your life. The Apostle Peter was writing a letter to Christians in general. And he writes this in 1 Peter 1 verse 8 about Jesus and the joy that he brings. He says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So he doesn't use the word mega joy. He says it is an inexpressible. I can't even put words around what I feel in my heart. It's inexpressible and it's glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. What is that? What's the end result of my faith and your faith? The salvation of your souls. The joy of man's desiring, Jesus, that longing that all of us have that only he can fill in our souls. Jesus 
the joy of man's desiring. See, joy doesn't come from what you do. It never will. Joy comes from what Jesus has done for you. And I'm so glad that's the case because I can't conjure up enough joy. But he's the one who has done that for me. Joy does not come from the right set of circumstances. It comes from trusting God regardless of the circumstances that you're currently in. It doesn't come from neatly packaged presents underneath the Christmas tree. It doesn't come from Walmart online or Amazon.com. This joy comes in receiving Christ as Savior. In fact, I would say it this way, that joy is both a gift of God, which we've said, and as well as a response to the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. If you want joy, it's a gift. You can't make it happen for you. You receive it. And that gift is Jesus. And when that gift happens of your salvation, the response is joy. In fact, Jesus himself speaks about this in those last moments he has with the disciples before he's about to be arrested and crucified. He's with them in an upper room, and he says these words in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Listen to those words. I'm telling you this so that my joy, Jesus says, I have joy, and my joy is from my relationship with my Father, and my joy will be in you. And then because of that, your joy will be complete. Is your joy complete today? Or does it feel depleted? If you're to take an honest assessment of how you feel today, would you use the word joyful? I'm not sure. There are times in my own life where I think the joy was muted. It was distracted. The joy was overlooked because of life circumstances. And sometimes we just got to stop and remind ourselves, I do not manufacture joy. Pharmacists don't manufacture joy. Online stores do not manufacture joy. It's a gift. And the only way I can have the joy that God has for me is receiving the gift of his joy. And the angel said it's great joy. And it's Jesus as our Savior. You see, joy is found in receiving God's greatest gift of all, Jesus, our Savior. Have you received him? If not, you'll never have the joy we talk about at Christmas. You'll never feel that. You might feel happy on certain days. A sustaining joy will never be yours outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I worry for the church today because it seems like sometimes our joy is sucked out. And people look at us and they think we're just a bunch of sour Christians who don't know what it means to have joy. In fact, we serve a God that's a killjoy. He takes away all fun from your life. Friends, that couldn't be further from the truth. But to be honest, we're not always the best poster children for the joy of the Lord. In fact, there was a story about a young man named Isaac. He was drugged to church every Sunday, like maybe you were as a kid, made to sit and listen to the pastor teach and endure the singing. He hated the songs of his church. They were so boring, and he never understood what they were saying. And he said, Dad, I've looked around when we're singing, and nobody is smiling. Nobody has any joy. They're just singing, and they're not great songs. I don't want to go to church anymore, Dad. And his dad said, son, 
If it bothers you, do something about it. And he's like, well, what should I do? His dad said, I'm not going to tell you. You need to talk to God. Ask him what you should do. So Isaac, he prayed. And he one day was reading the Psalms, the songs of David, which are, some are joyful, some are very depressing sounding songs of David. And he was reading through the Psalms and he came to a particular Psalm. And all of a sudden, words welled up within his heart. They wrote down in the form of a poem, and then as he kept writing psalms, all of a sudden he had all of these new songs that were coming to him, and he, he compiled them into a book of poems. And eventually those book of poems were given rhythm and rhyme and music. And eventually one of his poems in particular was enlivened with music and sung in church. In fact, a lot of these poems that Isaac actually wrote began to be sung as hymns in his church. In fact, each week he'd write a new hymn for his church to sing. One of the most famous of his hymns, I'm sure you've heard. The words go like this, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. You ever heard of that song? By the way, it's probably one of the most recorded and produced hymns of Christmas. But here's the tricky thing. It was never written as a Christmas song. Isn't it interesting, the most well-known Christmas song probably of all times, it's not even a Christmas song. Just like Jingle Bells, by the way, is not a Christmas song. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's not a Christmas, it's a Thanksgiving song. Just ask my son Chad, he'll tell you. It's not a Christmas song, it's a Thanksgiving song. And he's right, it was written for Thanksgiving. Nothing in that is about Santa Claus or ho, ho, ho. Listen to the words next time. But Joy to the World was never meant to be a Christmas song. But what happened is the guy who put words in, or put music to his words ended up releasing it and it was sung around the Christmas season. And everybody loved the new hymn because they thought it was singing about the coming of Jesus. That's partly true. But do you know what Isaac's song was really about? Oh, by his name, his name was Isaac Watts. Maybe you've heard of it. You know what his song was really about? The second coming of Jesus. Because as he read the Psalms and he heard David's longing and as he saw the depression, yet the joy, he knew all of this was going to be fulfilled in Jesus, the only one who would bring true and lasting joy to our lives. And so he wrote Joy to the World, and we sing it at Christmas. But you'll notice it doesn't have anything about angels, shepherds, Mary, or Joseph. But it has everything to do with Jesus who is coming. We need to make room for him because he's going to come back. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. No more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the crown. He's come to make thy blessings known, far as the curse. The curse of what? The curse of sin is found. It's about Jesus coming again. Friends, that's the reason why we as Christians today should be the most joy-filled people, not only because he lives in our hearts, but because Jesus is not done with us or this world. That's the joy Isaac spoke of. The joy that only comes from Jesus 
Do you have that joy today? If not, I encourage you, just for a moment, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Joy, maybe you don't feel like it's there today. Maybe it's depleted. I hope today's reminded you it's not going to be a childhood memory or a toy. Those are great to think about, but that's not where joy comes from. It's a gift from God. It's in receiving God's gift given to you. That God came not only to us, but he came near us. It's Jesus that we receive as Christ and Lord and Savior. And in that, there's joy. And if you're here today and saying, Kelly, you know what? I need that kind of joy today. Just raise a hand if that's you. Just honestly, I need that joy today, Kelly. I just, I need it. It's depleted in my life. But I need that joy in my heart today. Just raise a hand if that's you. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? I need that joy today, Kelly. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. And that even while we've been running away from you, you've been moving toward us. As the angel said, that a Savior has been born to us. It's a movement, an action toward us. Not only that, but it's placed in close proximity. You came so close to us that we couldn't miss it. But still too often, we miss it. Because we think joy is something else. We think it's something we manufacture through a a certain set of circumstances or some kind of experience or whatever. And it's not. It's receiving the gift of Jesus into our lives. That's where joy comes from. And that joy then becomes our strength. It helps us through every day. When days that it feels dark and dreary and the days where it feels sunny and bright, your joy is a sustaining strength through all of those because your joy is not an emotion. And thank you that it's not. It's a constant state of being that we can say it is well. It is well with my soul. So Lord, today, for those that need that joy, I pray they would just ask you, ask you first of all to forgive them. We all know we've been running away from you, so forgive us for our sins, the things that we have done that have disgraced our own lives and make us feel like maybe you wouldn't even love us, but God, you always love us. Your grace is bigger than our sin. Your love reaches to the farthest point of our brokenness, and thank you that it does, that you love us. And you've put not only words to your love, but you put action. You came. You entered our world. You experienced our pains. You died on a cross for our sins that we might be forgiven. So thank you, Jesus, that you can forgive me. You can give me the new life that you've promised that you've come to give, abundant life. And with that comes a sense of joy. And I pray for those right now who need that joy, they would simply ask you into their lives for others to rekindle that joy that we've allowed to grow cold and quiet because of circumstances. May you renew in our hearts a trust in you like a child. You told us we'll have to come to you as a child. So we do that today. We invite you into our lives. Be our Lord, our Savior, our joy. Thank you for that today. Thank you for hearing our prayers and answering us. In Jesus' name, amen.